Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. I want to get into this one quickly, so I'll do the plugs very quickly up the top. Patreon.com slash Philosophy. That's where you can support this show in a crowdfunded way for as little as a US dollar per month. Sign up at Patreon.com slash Philosophy. If we get to $5,000, that's been our little target for the year. If we get to $5,000 next year, we'll be able to do two episodes per week. One brand new episode with a brand new guest early in the week and then a catch-up episode with the previous guest later in the week. That's the aim. We've stalled. We got to high four four thousands. Like we've been hovering around 4,800 somewhere to 4,950 over the last few months. Never quite. Well, we've popped over 5,000 and then immediately popped back. So we're close and hopefully going into 2021, we could knock those contributions up to 5,000 and start the new year with two episodes per week. So if that is something that you would like, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go. Um, I appreciate all your support and considering particularly that my um, television show is now over for the year, I'm back to being unemployed for a while. So I do appreciate all the support that people are giving to the show at patreon.com slash philosophy. Obviously, it enables me to pay podcast Mike for all the incredible work he does, including something that he did to facilitate the episode you're about to listen to, and James Fosdyke, who does all the original artwork for the episodes. So that's the plugs. Now here's uh, the spiel for today's episode. I'll keep it pretty tight. Uh, we're turning this one around very quickly. Uh, it was re- recorded on a Friday. I'm recording this introduction on a Friday, and I'm hoping that we might get it out by this Sunday. It is with my friend Craig C- Coombs. If you don't know who that, by the way, is not his name is not C- Coombs. I just choked slightly as I was saying his name because, ah, man. Well, I'm recording this intro just after we've finished recording this episode, and you will understand. Um, why his name caught in my throat after you listen to this. So I want to mention up up the top about Craig. If you don't know Craig, if this is your first time tuning into a Craig episode, I would recommend that you go back to episode 100 and have a listen to episode 100. I specifically chose Craig for episode 100 because, well, we've had a lot of big guests on the show this year, you know, the Australian cricket captain, former prime minister, Jimmy Barnes, you know, like a lot of... Big name guests have joined us on the show this year, but I hope that this show is always about something more than just the big name guests. And in fact, sometimes it's the names that you haven't heard from uh, or heard about before that have the most incredible stories to tell. And Craig was my guest on the 100th episode. It is still one of my favorite episodes that we have ever done of this show. The things he shared about, you know, being diagnosed, being given you know, a ticking clock of how long his life had left and then his defiance of that and what he packed into that time, I would say is worth a listen before you get to today's episode. Don't listen in in the other way. If you want to listen to Craig today, go back to episode 100, have a listen to what Craig told me two years ago and then have a listen to what uh, Craig has to say today. I was going to release it as episode 200. So you'll hear this in the intro and then over the journey of the conversation we have, there's actually a point where I asked Craig when he'd like me to release this episode and um, I won't disclose the reasons. They are all there on the podcast for you to listen to, but he preferred that I released it sooner rather than later. Um so yeah, if you're going to have a listen to today, firstly, there's there's going to be some tears. If if you're not in the mood for, um, you know, 
a conversation that really goes to some raw places, then, you know, tuck this aside for a time where you are. But if you are ready for that, if you, you think that's something that would be valuable to you right now, go back to episode 100, listen to episode 100, and then come and listen to this one today, two years later. Craig Coombs is a friend of mine. And a lot of our friendship was formed through me originally having him on the show and then, you know, the interactions we've had in between this one. This is, this was a real hard one. This was as hard an episode as I have ever done, but it's also already one of the favorite ones that I've ever had the opportunity to do. So I hope this is something that you also um, appreciate. My friend Craig Coombs. And welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Now, this may be episode 200. I'm not sure because we're we're close. We're, I think we're about like 190. I haven't done an exact count, but I think we're about 190 odd episodes through, which means that if we release a few bonus episodes, you know, maybe sometime in January, you're hearing this episode 200. I don't know. Maybe I've rushed it out a little earlier. It's all probably going to depend on what answers I get from today's guest because today's guest was the guest on the show for the 100th episode of Willosophy. And I actually, on my Patreon page, always take suggestions from people. People will say who, which guests they'd like to see come back on the show or which guests that haven't been on the show they'd like to see on the show. And if you can hit me up at patreon.com slash Willosophy, and I will always answer your queries. And I've got some really great suggestions from that. But not just once, but several times it has been suggested that for the 200th episode, I get today's guest back. So... Uh, this is how it works. You probably all know who it is already because you've watched the yeah yeah you've seen the James Fosdyke art and you've clicked on the actual link. But this is how the show starts. Regardless, I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, my name is Craig Coombs. Hello, Craig Coombs. Well, firstly, can I say this? It is very nice to have you back on the podcast because last time we spoke on the show, we did not know if there was a possibility that you would actually have the chance to return to the show, and that was back in. 2018 so I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are very pleased to hear your voice again but tell me what the time in between last time we spoke and now has been like for you well I think when I was on last time my uh, I was about to walk my daughter down the aisle in the, the mm -hmm. couple of months and that was my target and uh, that was December 2018 and I happily done that and that was probably one of the proudest moments of my life. My wife and I together, um, we done that together and that was, yeah. It was one of the things I never thought would happen when I was first diagnosed. I remember saying to my children, I'll never see a marital walk down the aisle or have children. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then when the January came after that, uh, I wasn't sure where I was at myself. I thought I was happy enough with life and what it had given me and I was ready to... Um, Hang the boots up, so to speak. And, of course, uh, a few months had gone by and um, my daughter was walked in one day wearing a T-shirt that said, no, it's not fat, and I didn't really twig. And she's like, Dad, 
read it. No, oh, I have. And she goes, well, you haven't. And I'm, brain, you know. And then when it twigged, oh, geez, she's pregnant. Oh, my gosh. That was just a moment where I thought, oh, great, now I'm going to have to live for another nine months. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, you weren't doing the maths correctly because by the time she was telling you, she was already a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right, actually. <laughs> um, but it was extraordinary. Then when she did tell me when they were expected to have the baby was December, and I thought, oh, jeez, because I'm born in December. I thought, gee, wouldn't it be nice to have the baby born around that time? Anyway, we plough through 2019. Uh, the moments I got to take my daughter to hospital for those baby classes, <laughs> I just sat and waited outside. But for her to see her doctors and all that, uh, I just love getting in the car and driving her to hospital. You know, seeing her get bigger all the time, it was just so exciting. You know, I never envisaged that would be exciting, but it was. And then um, fast forward a couple of months and things are starting to get a bit active. And lo and behold, she has a little girl, which we actually knew about. They had a reveal party, so we knew it was going to be a girl. Um, And that made me exceptionally happy. I already had a grandson. So I thought, well done. I've got a boy and a girl. I've done all right. <laughs> I was pretty proud of myself <laughs> for, getting, for getting it. The pigeon pair. And then she was born on the 5th of December 2019. My wife's birthday is the 6th of December and mine is the 7th. So <laughs> I thought, this just couldn't have been more perfect, could it? Five, six, seven, we had three days of celebration and it was just, and I'm looking at a photo of her now and I'm surrounded where I sit by photos of both my grandchildren and they're the happiest things that I have. I'm quite happy with my own kids and my wife, but I mean, you know, <laughs> it's true what they say about grandkids. Um, and the time I held her and looked at her, I just thought, you know what? I'm complete now. This made me think, that's why I hung on. That's that's why I hung on, just to see her. And I'd, uh, I think I actually messaged you in the January. I'm, I'm sure I messaged you in the January and said, I'm complete, I'm content, I'm done. And then, of course, a month gets by and I see her starting to grow a little bit and I'm thinking, oh... Is it possible to get through to her first birthday? Because that would be special. And uh, later in that month, in January, I remember messaging you again and I think I might have even said goodbye because I thought I was in a lot of strife. I'd had a terribly bad weekend. I'd ended up in hospital and I I thought I was in all sorts. Um, but I got through it and... Um, Sorry, mate. I got to see her one a few weeks ago. And then we had my wife's celebration of mine. I saw her each day. And I saw my grandson. And uh, now I'm complete. 
It's just a couple of little tick-offs. I wanted to get to Christmas. She's just started walking. I just want to hear her look at me and say, Papa. So I'll fight tooth and nail until I hear that. But once she says that, that'll do. That'll do. Well... Based on how this has been going so far, Craig, I look forward to interviewing you for the philosophy. As you say, I just want to see her graduate high school and then, then I'll be complete. <laughs> uh, you know, and people do say to me, Wouldn't, don't you want to hang around to see those sort of things? Of course, but not under the current circumstance where my body is. I just, uh, every day is getting worse. I'm not out of pain or sickness any day now. It's just to manage, you know, three to... Nine and a half is the range, and um, and that's where it is. I, I knew that, you know, that was always going to come, but I sort of thought I'd be prepared for it. But uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I can tell you now, it's no fun at all, <clears throat> especially when you keep chasing it with medication, and the next thing doesn't work, and then you just worry that put another one in, you're going to be sick, and. Um, so I think that overriding factor of my body just collapsing on me is um, <coughs> it's it's going to ensure that I won't see those other things. But And look, well, I'm okay with that. I mean, I've had eight years and I, I, things I said I'd never see, I have. They were the most important things to me. And I've fought flipping hard. And I actually think, you know what, I know this is going to sound a bit... It's time for my reward. And I know, okay, I see my death as my reward. No more fighting. Here's my peace. Mate, I need some peace at the moment. It's such a, a you did message me. And, um, you know, we message very regularly, mostly just about light, fun topics like, you know, who the Bulldogs are going to take in the draft <laughs> we, or where we're going to finish got it right. in the finals. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Which is good. Uh, you, you are very right. This will this will bore all our non-football uh, you know, listeners to this podcast. But let's luck. just take a <laughs> uh, yes, We've just, just had a nice 10 minutes of having a cry <laughs> at the start of the podcast. We can... Have a little of a light moment for a moment, which is you've been telling me for about two years that the Bulldogs were going to draft this kid called Jamari Hagen to the point where I already know how to say Jamari Hagen, <laughs> and to the point where <laughs> normally if you're a grown adult sitting alone in your office watching videos of a 15-year-old, yeah, you're getting on some sort of government watch oh, list. But oh. I have watched so many videos of this oh. kid play junior football in the hope that he would end up being drafted to the Bulldogs. And, of course, he eventually in the AFL draft went as the number one pick uh, to the Bulldogs. And, of course, you know, an incredible thing for an Indigenous kid, you know, to be considered the number one draft pick in the country. Incredibly impressive young man off the field as well, the way he spoke and the way he accepted that honour. And he's, he's looking forward to, you know, his AFL career was something that, has brought me great joy, but it also brought me great joy just because you'd been telling me this was <laughs> going to happen for two years. Like, I really felt like I had some good inside knowledge on this, basically just from our conversations. Well, I'm pleased it worked out um, because I've been watching that vision too for a couple of years and I'm like, you know, I know he's not coming to Richmond, but 
if I could send him anywhere, I'd send him to the dogs and um, he's got it, mate. He's just a gifted athlete but a very good person. He speaks well already. He fits the AFL. He'll play round one and those who cannot say Jamara Hagen will be able to say it very easily because he's going to be a genuine star. He was that far and away the best player in this draft. It ain't funny. You know, and you normally have one guy stands out, another guy, oh, he's not too far off him. Head and shoulders, mate. Well done. Congratulations on your top four finish in 2021. <laughs> well, I, I hope that you're in not in so much pain that you might be around to see. I think that would be pretty cool. But, uh, he, but yes, you did message me. And there was one time in particular where I did think it was perhaps you saying goodbye or at yeah. least putting a goodbye in just as a safety marker in case you didn't get the opportunity to say goodbye. And uh, it's – so tell me what your life's like at that point, you know, the point where you genu- – because you've been thinking about this from when you've been diagnosed. Yeah. You've been thinking about I'm on a ticking clock. Now, the, the truth of it is we're all on a yep. ticking clock. You know, you just have – like it at the front of your mind, particularly because you live with the pain of it every day. But secondly, because you've been told. Correct. But we've all been told. We all we don't know. And <laughs> and it seems to me that you've probably done more in the last, you know, eight years than a lot of people do in their entire lifetimes. But not just the big things, the big flashy things. Like you said, the capacity to appreciate, you know, the growth in your daughter, to see her become a parent herself, to be there on her special day. And of course you would have found that, you know, um, you would have found that incredible regardless of the circumstance. I'm sure yep. that for all parents that is transformative. But but you know just how important it is. And I think in some ways that is an absolute great gift. But take me back to that moment where you thought, okay, well, this is it. This is, it is all over now. And you're exactly right. That's what I've done also with you because I thought, there might be a time when I won't be able to, I'll be that sick that I won't be worried about picking up the phone and sending people's messages. I'll just be worried about getting through the day and, you know, I assume I'll be in hospital, which I will be. Um, and, you know, not everyone's going to get that chance or will want that chance to come to hospital to say goodbye. I get that. You know, I saw it with my dad. You know, I spent a week with him and he had a few people want to come in and a few people said, no, I don't want to come and see him like that. I, want, I don't want that, you know, and... Yep, I get that. And I'm probably the same. I'm thinking, do I want people to come and see me like that? And knowing, you know, sometime these next few days, it's over. And I thought, <clears throat> I really don't know what will happen then. So how about I do this now? And I didn't do it with a lot of people. I only, you know, I've said a general sort of thing out there to say to people, look, things aren't great. But there were a few people that I thought I needed to send them a specific message for specific reasons. And the other great thing that you've been since we met is you've never been patronising. You've never also told me what to do. Not once. If I know went over our messages. You've never told me what to do. Other people have and continually say, don't give up the fight. Come on, you can do this. You have to keep digging in, mate. And I'm thinking, no, I don't. And it's like, okay, if you understand what the day is like, maybe then. And like I've told a few people, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but think what's even greater. And I'm thinking, you just, 
not listening. So I do appreciate the fact that you, and even in your last message the other day, you said, I hope you get to see what you want. Affirmation twice there. And I thought, yeah, that's probably why I sent that message, because you get it. I have had people saying to me, what's your days like at the moment? And I, I climb out of bed about 8 o'clock-ish and uh, generally reach for the drawer straight away and get a couple of extras, throw them in, <laughs> hit the shower, do some stretching, feed my dogs, <laughs> get into my chair and turn the TV on, watch a bit of news, and then um, it's literally just wait until it decides, yeah, now's the time to get him. And even my wife has said, what does it feel like? Like, like when that cancer pain hits, I go, yeah, well, throw in the liver pain as well. And the fact I've got two pinched nerves in my back. So it's, it's, the cancer pain really is a gripping sort of pain. Like it really wants to squeeze you and hurt you. And I'll start to get a bit fidgety and I'll think, no, 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 no. It's like a vice. And then once it starts at your feet, it'll go, it just takes everywhere. And it feels like someone is just squashing you with all their might. And the only option left is to head for more medication to try to take this pain away. Because I just want the edge off it. Because yes, I can take the edge off and some days the edge is already off. It's there and I'm feeling it, but I can cope and I can get by. But when it hits, there's no coping or getting by. It's like, okay, what am I going to head for? Do I try to get rid of this? But then I know I'm going to bring on additional nausea through taking too much medication or maybe just to the edge. I know how much I can take. And I have what I call my low range, medium range and my you beauty. And I always start at the bottom hoping, you know, okay, I know what to do. Take the low range, have a shower, get the blood moving a bit more and hope that it'll kick in quicker. Sit there watching the clock going, okay, it should be just, you know, no, all right, well, I'll go with the next one. And 40 minutes goes by and it's like, it's still no different here. This is really, then you get agitated and you get angry. (laughs) And I'm sure that doesn't help. But you can't help it. And you're getting frustrated and you think, that's it, I'm going for the top shelf. So I'll go for the top shelf, chuck them in, go for a shower, hope for the best, stretch, massage, hit the chair. No, still screaming. And this could be a 12-hour fight before I finally get some victory because I'll take my normal four, four, four o'clock meds. So then that's just <laughs> adding some more into the mix that I already have. And I've probably got around 80 milligrams of OxyContin flowing through my veins at this stage, which is a fair amount. <laughs> Even though I'm big mother, it's still a fair amount. And it can be 10 o'clock at night when it'll drop off, and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. Oh, bedtime. <laughs> there goes the day. And the problem is, there goes tomorrow, because it just washes me out like I, I was going to say like I run a marathon, but last time I run was probably 1980, and that was at school. Um, so I'm not, and I haven't run a marathon, obviously. Um, so I, I'm assuming that's you know whole body hurts from maybe lifting a weight. Um, I don't know, carrying too big a box of it hurts, mate, and and everything's heavy. And so for that day after, it's just washed out, just smashed. And you think, well, we can just write that off. And um, that's the thing I hate doing at the moment. Because I think the days are numbered and writing them off, I don't like. And that 
It speaks to what you've been speaking about, which is this idea of when does the pain just completely overwhelm, you know, any moments of joy along the way. And from day to day, you know, like the idea that you are having to take that amount of drugs just to get through the day, you know, means that the nature of your day-to-day existence sometimes must feel more like, torture than reward and again spot on existence i feel like i'm existing and not living this is the lot i've been given and this is what i've got to cope with i I knew this was coming mate this is no surprise it hasn't crept up on me but i can't cope and i'm not coping well because i actually do feel that jesus is getting close and i you know, the liver's being, and I know you know a lot about the liver, and it's been a real mongrel. One of the enzymes that should be below 60 is clocking high 1900s. That's high. <laughs> and when it clicks a certain point, it's liver failure. Although I've been assured liver failure is a peaceful way to die. You know, they just crank it up and you fall asleep, whereas we know what cancer does, it just destroys you. I saw it eating my dad apart and him in enormous pain, even though he was on truckloads of morphine. So uh, it's a race between two, and I'm um, hoping the liver does its job and knocks me out (laughs) before the cancer gets me. (laughs) Is that a victory then? I'm men of sorts. You've got to claim your victories where you can get them at this point, I think. That's what I'm doing. I'll get you to come to the funeral and sort of shout in your face, cancer in your face. You didn't get him. (laughs) It is this point where you have to find, you know, some dark humour in things as well, right? You know, you need to find those ways to release that tension. What is your attitude to talking about this i mean obviously for the purposes of this show you know you're always incredibly generous in you know the level of honesty you bring to this conversation and i hope that it is completely you know fascinating and insightful and helpful to people listening to this who are seeing loved ones go through a similar circumstance or you know at some stage will have to face that circumstance or maybe even facing similar circumstances themselves at the moment as they listen to this but in a day-to-day sense, like, do you talk about these things a lot or is it better to not be talking <laughs> about them, to be concentrating on other things? Like, I don't know, what what is what is you know, your existence in that regard? Yeah, look, I suppose it can't be ignored because, you know, this is what people see in me. This is the illness, you know, and sometimes I get frustrated and think, well, there is other parts to my life. And again, that's why I like talking footy and I like talking music and comedy and theatre because that gets me away from it. They are my escapes, you know. When I'm on my own a lot, that's when it's the problem, you know, and people go, can't you just watch Netflix and all that? I've been doing this for eight years. How much more can you watch? I mean, you know. <laughs> and you know, I'll listen to music and comedy because they'll give me a little bit more. And I'm struggling probably the last six months to concentrate. So, you know, my wife will say, that music channel's been on for since 9am till 10 o'clock. I went, yeah. Hear an old song, some good memories come back, you know. So I do get a lot of people still talking to me, and I must admit the other day I just wrote on my Facebook, please don't ask me how I've been getting on. Because it's wearing me down, but I will always speak to people if they want. And someone obviously didn't see that and just wrote to me, hey, mate, how are you doing? I went, okay, obviously you didn't see my message, which is fine. This is three days before 
Lola's birthday and mine. I really just want the positives at the moment. But a couple of days later, I'm going to tell you exactly how I've been getting on. And I did send her a message and she's like, oh, my God. I went, yeah, well, you know, not everything is for everybody else's consumption. There's a close group of friends who know exactly where I'm at and where I'm, where things are and that's how it should be. But I will talk to anyone who sends me messages because it does help me and I the amount of messages I got last time from being on your show was amazing and I formed a couple of friendships with people because of that. And that's quite astounding, to be honest. And, you know, some, some will say, oh, my dad went through this or my so-and-so is or nothing and then all of a sudden six months later you get a message go oh my can't believe it one of my mates has got cancer and like geez I'm so sorry and like what can I do and I said well you know what everyone's different you just got to do what you can do and what your mate wants you to do if your mate wants to be left alone leave him alone if your mate wants to be talked to talk to it it varies with me at the moment to be honest Um, I think everything varies me at the moment one hour I'm okay the next hour I'm not one hour I just don't want to talk to humans, I'll just play with my dogs. The next hour is like, can somebody phone me, you know? Can somebody talk to me? Um, it's messing with the head stage big time now, mate. I always thought I was pretty strong mentally. Uh, no, nah, not now. It's it's really getting a grip of my head space. So, uh Okay, well, talk to me about being on last time because I got the impression, in fact, you may have even said it, um, a more professional podcaster would have gone back and checked, Craig, but you know me and you know I wasn't going to do that level of detail in my research for this. <laughs> I assumed we'd be able to just wing it. But I believe that last time you said to me either on air or at least off air that there were some things you said on the podcast that you were hoping that other people in your life would hear, but they'll perhaps be hearing for the first time that you hadn't had the opportunity to have that conversation with them. Was that the truth? Did that end up being the case? Uh, It was the truth, mate. Yep. And it got that out, which again was wonderful because I didn't have, you know, it's really hard just to send a message to someone and say that if they hear it and they want to go, Oh my gosh, I didn't really know. And it's opened that door. And it had, and it did, and with friends, which was what I said I hoped happened. I wasn't sure it would, but it did, which, I, again, I, I'm grateful for because it's given that opportunity. And so once that door's open, I, I'm, I'm okay to chat because it's it's the one thing that I may uh, have an authority on. I know, I know I've had some people go, oh, you bang on about cancer. I go, well, that's what I've got. I can't talk about diabetes because I don't have it. I won't talk about something if I don't. If I'm not an expert on it, what do you want me to do? I'm like, geez, some people, mate. Jeez, some are still thick. Living in the wrong society, mate. (laughs) Everybody talks about things they're not experts on these days. That is very good. Have you not heard of Pete Evans? (laughs) Oh, mate. Oh, I didn't. I shouldn't. Oh, I always think. You know, someone said to me once, "If you had a superpower, what would it be?" I'd say illness transference. Illness transference, just go, <laughs> my cancer, sorry, mate, all yours. I know that's cruel and not nice, but I've got a few targets. I reckon he might be up there, mate. <laughs> it's, it's not being invisible. It's not being <laughs> the speed of light. It's like, here, have this. And then you can have the liver disease. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's up there. Don't worry. Can you make that happen? Can anyone make that happen? <laughs> Super Coomsy, the power of 
illness transfers. I mean, it would be quite a good thing that on the moment of your death, you could kind of bequeath your diseases to other people. We've got, Craig's done two wills. He's divided up his worldly goods and he's also divided up the diseases he had. And it turns out that Pete Evans now has liver cancer. See if you can fix that with your lamp, Pete. Oh, I had a hernia. It's gone now, thanks. Um, that's funny. <laughs> that, uh, I have a bit of fun with those sort of things as it is. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, My son also wanted to do this, that there's a list of people I don't want at my funeral. So if they turn up, my son happily with us going, hey, Dad didn't actually like you, so... <laughs> and he's got the list and he read down once. I said, I like that person. He goes, I don't. I'm like, but hang on there. <laughs> and I went, yeah, but then my friend, he goes, you ain't going to know, remember? I went, <laughs> I said, no, don't do that to them. He goes, yeah, I'm going to. Oh, don't, you little mongrel. That My wife didn't really appreciate us both talking about people. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. Turn up to fear and be told, yeah, on your bike, you know, <laughs> he didn't like you. <laughs> and the thing about my son is, yeah, he will do it. <laughs> and I've told a couple of other mates and they're going, oh, this will be, I, I want to be around with this happen because he'll do it. And I go, oh, I know he'll do it. And, and one of my mates, I go, you're on that list. He goes, we're good mates. I says, yeah, but he thinks it's going to be funny. To turn you away and go, he said, Well, now you've told me we can reverse it. And I went, No, mate, he, he'll just say, Go. And my, my son's a mean looking thing, he's got the neck tattoos, that, which just scares people anyway, regardless, which I don't get. But anyway, so <laughs> that'll be enough if he's standing there in black with that going, and his son, he's on, go, and he's he's got the same haircut as me and a beard, so he'll just go, No, <laughs> I think it'd be a last laugh, that'd be funny. Uh, tell me what you've learnt in the couple of years since we spoke last on the show. Is there things that you thought then that you have changed your mind about? Is there things that you have learnt in the last couple of years that you weren't aware of two years ago? The assisted dying program is um, <laughs> is high up there. And being that it is now legal mm-hmm. is something that I am all for. And I think we discussed last time that it was just about to come in or maybe just because they had 68 protocols. And we were, yes. we, 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 uh, we tried. There should have been 69. With the Anderson. I don't need to go back to remember. <laughs> you <know>. the, the, <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> the, the Anderson protocol, wasn't it? That's right. And can you, can you, remember, can you remember your reason? No. For comedic value. <laughs> oh, yeah, comedic value. That, that's a that's, good reason. That's why you wanted the reason stated. 69 for comedic value. <laughs> and I, um, oh, oh, well, <clears throat> okay, we've opened the door. I uh, I spoke to one of the people, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a rather sombre meeting when you're meeting them and talking to them about all this. It's, it's not a fun thing. It's not generally where people are... But I thought, I've got to be true to me, don't I? And I had to explain something because you have to be right of mind. So I thought I needed to jump on the front foot here and tell this bloke before he started researching about me and deciding I'm not right of mind. Hmm. I, my Naked Tuesday thing came to mind straight away and went, oh, geez, can I explain this? Because yeah. so he looked it up and I went, hmm. just hang on, let me explain what you're going to see and why. 
And then he did, and he's looking at some photos. He's funny. He goes, if that's your way of coping with cancer, there's nothing wrong with that. And I said, good, because we're a massive community, and it's it's just been amazing. And, um, you know, it's how we got on the Hillsy show and all that. And it's been great for a lot of people. So he was like, yeah, all good. And I thought, this bloke seems all right. And I said, oh, just one other thing. This is the second bit of the meeting. There's 68 protocols for this program. He says, yep. I said, I've obviously read through a lot. I know a lot with my GP, blah, 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 blah. I said, um, do you know Will Anderson? He goes, a comedian. Yeah. He would like to have a 69th protocol invoked, please. And he, he just went, for what reason? I thought, thank you, sir. You know, for comedic value. <laughs> What do you what do you reckon his face went like? <laughs> um, he, uh, he loved it because everybody loves every bit of comedy I've ever done. I imagine. Correct. He rocked back on his seat. He fell over. He was like, "That's the funniest thing." Um, maybe that's what I thought he did. <laughs> he did have a giggle and a <laughs> okay, Mister Coombs. Oh, righto, we're moving on quick off that one. It's um. <clears throat> so I thought I've given him a little bit of a doorway into the person that I am and how I deal with my illness. And again, this is what I say. This is not the way a lot of people deal with it, but it's mine. I think I told you I, I, I had a, uh, a really close friend, like a brother. He was his best man. He was mine. When I started doing the Naked Tuesday shenanigans, he said, it's a disgrace to have your body shown like that. Look at the size of you. I said, yeah, things are covered up, remember. You know, you don't see everything. You, you, you might see me bum, but whoopee-doo. We all, all got one of them. They're all fairly similar. Although if people could see everything and they were saying, look at the size of you, <laughs> Well, bang, bang. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an outtake photo. I'll, I'll send it to you later. <laughs> You've opened that door, Mr. Anderson. That's a dangerous door to open with me. A lot of comedians know, and they say something, and I go, really? Oh, no, sorry. Um, I take that back because one of them didn't think I'd do it one day, John Burgess, and I sent him a photo. And went, this was an outtake. Bang. And he went, oh, mate, can I come and do, like, fix your house, your car, all that? I went, yeah, that's the right response. So, um, But anyway, yes, so I was told in no uncertain terms by this person that was very close to me, cousin, we're like brothers, that this was a disgrace to the family name. I thought, geez, this is going. And he said, um, this is not how you cope with cancer. You don't cope with cancer like this. And I, I said, all right, listen, when you get it, you give me a call and tell me how you cope with it and then we can talk. But right at this point in time, I don't think I ever want to hear from you again. And this was well, probably five years ago now and, um, yeah, I haven't heard from him again. So at least he obeyed my want. It's not for everyone. How does that feel? Like, I mean, I understand the initial, I mean, what a, like, and, you know, just what a terrible thing for him to say. Like if somebody is sick, you know, the one thing that you can give them is the capacity to live their remaining life and deal with their illness in the way that they need to deal with their illness. Now, um, you know, you can have different ideas. You can support them in different ways. Like all those things can be true. But the idea that this is somehow 
Like it's it's a completely harmless bit of fun. Like regardless of the context. Fucking if Mother Teresa or the Pope wanted to do Naked Tuesdays and they did them the way that you did them, I, I'd still be like, that's nah, fine. It's a harmless bit of fun. That's... Look at you know, look at the Pope there on the beach. <laughs> that's right. It's fine. Yeah. Well... It's it, it's firstly not even that scandalous a thing to be doing in any context. But the idea that it's a scandalous thing to be doing in the context you were doing it with is, I understand the anger and I understand why you would not want to be hearing from that person, but. You know, you talk about this person being someone who you were so close to. Oh, very. Do you, is there a sadness about the fact that you haven't heard from them again in that time? No, because that's what I asked for. So I I thought, good. And there was another friend who was pushing the envelope a little bit. um, And I said to him, you know what? I've had enough. No more. Do not. And he knows where I live. He only lives 500 metres away. And I want to come see it. No, no. So I'm glad that they've respected my wishes. When it first happened, yeah, kicking the guts, I thought, you've got to be kidding. After all I've done for you, because we've done a lot. He, he was in a bit of strife where he was living with the law and things like that. Uh, he didn't live in Melbourne. My dad took him in to come down for a holiday. And dad said, you know, and then he loved Melbourne, wanted to stay. Well, get a job, smarten up. He got a job. He smartened up. He met a girl. They got married. They were wonderful family, kids, grandkids, and his life has changed. If it wasn't, for me, pleading with Dad, please let him stay, please let him stay. And he goes, he'll just get in trouble like he always has and end up in jail. I went, I'll go face in him. He said, well, this is on you, son. I went, righto. And I sat him down and read the right act to him. I said, if you go back where you come from, you know what your life's going to be like. Don't ruin it here and then ruin it for me. And that's how close we were. But it really doesn't cross my mind very often, only every now and again when one of the, my kids will sort of say, oh, his kids had a baby. Look, you know, oh, okay, yep. And then I think about him, but otherwise, I've I've gained far more friendships and close people to me now through all this madness. Um, and again, you know, <laughs> here's a guy who talks about a sister dying. One of the guys on the on the board that found it funny enough and respectful enough and okay if it was a coping mechanism for me. Yet. A close cousin couldn't. And yeah, and I, when we first started Naked Tuesday, we had one or two. I think I think I received one message once from somebody who just said, "Look, you're fat and you're ugly. I don't care that you're dying. You shouldn't be doing this." Yeah, goodbye. See you later. Water off a duck's back. I think we apologise for that. I really <laughs> <have> been, <laughs> it has been taken back. <laughs> but that's literally been two in you know five years or so that we've been doing it, and and I, I just have actually decided to finish doing it uh, last week which I posted a final farewell message and a photo where uh, 12 friends gathered with me on a cold beach where we had our bums painted with a phrase that Adam Hills sent to me around about the time I was supposed to die a few years back that said in your face cancer in your face it's been like a like a uh, what's the word for us a phrase of defiance and I got to say it a week ago, one more time. Um, and I thought that was an appropriate way to finish doing Naked Tuesday. The message is there. People know it. There's been truckloads of friends made out of it from me, but through other networks. And I know it's just a weekly thing, but you know, getting out to do photos is difficult. 
and public nudity is also against the law. <laughs> so it shouldn't be happening. Um, so I ended up doing a lot in my backyard and in my lounge room. And I do parody photos of me and Marilyn Monroe or, you know, but again, just even trying to find the time to consciously think about it and the energy to do it was a struggle. And I thought, I just need to take that energy and just focus on on me and where I'm what I need to be doing. And look, the community was some of the nicest messages I've ever, just I couldn't read them because I kept getting upset at people I didn't know saying such lovely things. And and I know, you know, a few private messages, like if it wasn't for your advice when I was going through my illness, I don't know what would have happened or, uh, yeah, look, so it served its purpose to me. And um, I think you're getting a bit of an understanding that my focus on everything right now is uh, is me and what I want. So you, I don't want to um, pry like too much into uh, ne- necessarily, you know, your personal circumstances and things that you wouldn't want to divulge when you have this meeting. But I think that one of the curiosities that people have about you know euthanasia and whether it should be legal or not is this you know, in my opinion, misguided idea that somehow it would make it easy, that it wouldn't be a complicated, oh. detailed <laughs> process. So can you tell us at least a little bit about the process, give people a bit of an understanding of what that process entails? Yeah, it's a massive process and it's not easy. As we said, there are 68, almost 69 protocols. Mm. <laughs> Mate, we'll get it, we'll get it, all right? We'll, I'm a deathbed, we'll get it. Um and those are rather stringent. And even to start with, you know, your GP cannot say to you, I think you need to look at this program. Then allowed to do it. You have to bring it up. So you bring it up with your GP. And then your GP will obviously say his or her opinion, whether they think you're ready for it or not. But generally, if you want to go ahead and you meet the criteria of having a terminal illness that they believe will take your life within the year, um, then you go through the next process where they then refer you through uh, to the assisted dying panel, fill out forms. That is rejected straight away, regardless. They look at your name literally and stamp it, rejected. And then you have to wait another 10 days before you can start the process again. Process number two, Rubber stamp, bang, rejected again. Another 10 days, you're getting the drift here. Third one comes, rejected, 10 days. It's when you submit the fourth one, then the next step's taking place. And the reason being, obviously, is to make sure this is exactly what you want because you have to be right in mind and it's only you. It's got nothing to do with your family. There's no input from them. So, and once you get to the acceptance stage then it really ups the ante about you know getting all the doctor's reports and to making sure that two specialists have to agree if there's any doubt then that's you know any doubt at all and then they have their people look at all the reports to go well yes we do agree it goes to another specialist it goes through a lot of hands and then there's decisions about whether you want to take it yourself or you want the doctor to be with you or at home or in a hospital. Do you want someone with you? Do you not? It, it, it is absolutely stringent, and so it should be. The other reason why this this program, I suppose, is for better, I don't know what 
you want to call it. But okay, sorry. But earlier, sorry, mate. In January this year, I had decided, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this now. I can't wait. I want to wait for Lola to do the things I do, but this was getting too much. It was getting too much. The following morning, I thought, no, I don't want to do this. That afternoon, I thought, Yes, actually, I do want to do this. I thought, right, I'll speak to my GP tomorrow. And I thought, oh, I might, I'll leave it to the next appointment because that's what I, I want to talk about some other stuff, but I'll do it to the next appointment. I thought I'm starting to have these questions in my own head. If I'm questioning it, I don't think you're ready. I think personally it's like, yes, I'm ready, go. And that's why I didn't go past an initial step then. A few weeks later, I was back in the same boat. I was confusing myself thinking, I really don't know. And my thought process is, if I don't know, that means I'm not ready. So I decided in the February, me and my wife would go on a little cruise. Um, a little cruise together for the last time, which I thought would be our last holiday. And this was around about when all the pandemic stuff was starting to hit in the February. And we're just doing a cruise down to Tassie and that was okay. And it was just a five-day cruise. And we got down to Port Arthur, had a look around there, got to Hobart. And it's where my wife was born. We jumped on a bus, went a bus tour and we got off and thought, we'll just walk back to the ship to have lunch before we catch up with a friend. Anyway, my wife stopped on the foreshore to take a photo of the ship and I just kept walking and all of a sudden, two tourists stepped out in front of me and I tried to step around and I misjudged the step. I fell and cracked the back of my head on the roadway and obviously I passed out. I didn't know that my wife didn't see this and she turned around as a commotion. All she saw was me laying on the ground with people around me. Uh, I came to and then I passed out again and you know an ambulance was called and when the ambulance arrived... They were saying, look, we need to take you to hospital. Your leg's not great, but your head, if you, and you passed out twice. And I said, yeah, my head is just absolutely killing me. Anyway, um, the ship was about to leave in three hours, so I thought, well, if I go by ambulance to the hospital, we ain't finishing the cruise. And I was like, this is going to be our last cruise together. I don't want to do this to my wife. And I'm like, I'm not going. And then they were saying, I heard them say Go and talk to your husband, talk some sense into him. I felt for the paramedics because I used to be a paramedic. <laughs> and I thought, what am I doing to these people? They're trying to do their job. I've blacked out twice, but I want to finish this with my wife because this is going to be our last chance. But I gave in, went to hospital. Um, they got our luggage off, thankfully. And then the doctor said, uh, we're going to have to do a scan on your head because it's been cracked out pretty bad. So... Um, can you just is there any history you want to tell me <laughs> and I said listen <clears throat> can you access the Melbourne yeah yeah go and do that <laughs> she come back <laughs> she don't she come back she goes we might get you on a flight back to Melbourne as soon as we can and I think it's best for them to deal with that 
<laughs> that's what I wanted because they had to give me an okay from the doctor for the insurance company to pay for flying me home and the hotel because they're going to. I thought they're getting me out of the hospital as quick as they can. She goes, so you don't feel sick? No, you haven't got a temperature? No, just got a headache. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll drive you to the airport. Yeah, they took no, a hotel around the court because they said, we don't want you flying out tonight because by this time it was late at night, so no flights. <laughs> but we'll... Well, and I said, oh, my wife can do it. She organised the flights out and we flew out of Melbourne, out of uh, Hobart, back into Melbourne real quick and and then uh, obviously I had to go and see my GP the following day and I thought, what a great way to end it. That morning, I then thought, okay, is this a sign or a signal to me that, you know, another thing's gone wrong here and is this going to cause any issues? And they'd done some tests and I had some short-term memory loss. I thought, oh, that's great. No, my idiot friends, they're going to have a ball with this. They started off real quick. Oh, mate, remember that 50 you borrowed? Here we go. So I thought, I don't need, I don't need all this. <laughs> and I honestly was going to my GP to actually ask him the question, we need to initiate this next step now. From first one, rejections, 40 days, I figured out where I was at. I changed my mind in the car. I thought, I don't know whether to even bring this up with him to say I'm continually changing my mind here. I I went and saw the, the guy at the board. He he said, I think you need to go and discuss it with them. So uh, he obviously remembered me. And I mentioned about these issues of changing my mind. And he agreed. He said, well you're not ready for it if you're changing your mind. I I think I'm getting ready for it. I'm, I'm still not totally sure because I think, why don't I just let this liver or the cancer do its job and get me? But then that's letting it win. And if I somehow... Had my life taken by the legal assisted dying program, neither the cancer wins or the liver, does it? And it's taken so much away from me, mate. Can't I just have one flipping win? And this is my win. I really hope some of my friends are understanding this and listening to this to understand that I go to bed some nights, mate, and I, and I messaged you this two weeks ago, I know it, that I told you I didn't want to wake up. And then that following morning I got a FaceTime call from my daughter and I saw my granddaughter take her first steps. Tick, one more thing. And I thought, that's why I wasn't ready, you know, that's why I wasn't ready because somehow the universe or my body or whatever's in control wanted me to get that tick. So I'm sort of hopeful that it's going to let me have that last two, spend Christmas and hear her say, Papa. And then I think I might have cashed in all my ticks. But it does make me wonder, should I just let it take its natural course? But then I'm losing Will. Don't want to lose, mate. So I have no right or proper insight to be able to say this, but it occurs to me that this whole language around whether somebody beats cancer or cancer beats them is 
part of what's wrong with the way that we talk about, yep. you know, these illnesses. Because if somebody dies of cancer, the cancer didn't fucking beat them. It's a disease. It's not a battle. It doesn't. There's no value judgment on the other person who was in the battle. And it's not a fair fucking fight. Like one of you is just a fucking human being and the other one is like a deadly disease. That is, you know, you're expected to lose that fight. And while it's great that some people don't, it's not a moral judgment on the capacity of the person. The, the cancer doesn't get to win regardless or the liver doesn't get to win regardless. That's that's not it. You you win. You lived your fucking I, I life. I wondered... And, you know, you saw your daughter have her first steps and, you know, you are this wonderful person whose memory and legacy will live on so much longer. You know, you, you have one, but at the moment it feels like you're somebody who has, has won, but maybe also you're done. And that idea of whether you have some control over that or whether you know, you let the diseases have some control over that is just something only you can decide. It's no one else's choice and there is no right or wrong choice. And, you know, I hear the pain. I see, you know, this man who has raged against the dying of the light, but now it is becoming so overwhelming and and so powerful. So I'm going to ask you a question and I don't know, like, you know, I... I think you and I trust each other. We've had, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. conversations once or twice a week for, the, you know, the last few years. So, like, you know, I feel like we have a relationship where I can just ask you this question. So we're recording this, as I mentioned at the top, probably a month, a month and a half away, maybe even two months, you know, if I only do weekly episodes away from what is actually the 200th episode of this show. I am happy to release this episode whenever. I can hold it you know, up and I can release it for the 200th. I can release it right now because there's stuff on this that you would like people to hear right now. And I have absolutely no problem with that at all. Um, I, I I want you to tell me when you'd like people to hear this. Firstly, you've answered a question that I haven't asked anybody and that I've wanted to. Where I wanted to know what would people feel if I went ahead with this assisted dying program? How would that make you feel? Well, you just told me. And I, I feel like I'm losing until some of those things you said have have helped. But I don't know how other people, because I haven't brought it up to actually say, so if I choose to do this, how would that make you feel? I now know how you feel and it now thinks that I need to ask if you're my close friends. And I don't think that's a a message I think that's a on the phone chat because then hopefully they'll hear my pain rather than just try and understand it through some letters on a keyboard so thank you firstly thank you because that has really helped and give me a little bit of clarity well a lot of clarity here actually I don't feel like a loser all of a sudden because I did but I, now, now I really do want to know what some of my close friends think. And maybe I also want to know what a few people who aren't close to me think. And again, it's not going to change my opinion if 10 go yes and 10 go no, no. But it, it's 
been grinding me for ages because how do you ask someone that? How, how do, you, do you send a message and say, oh, oh, listen, if I go, I mean, that's just, imagine getting that as a message, I'd be like, geez, it's a phone call. I, I want people to hear before before I'm gone. And again, as you said, I really don't know if that's going to be next week or in a couple of months' time. I, I don't know where it's at. I don't know what would be more beneficial for me, and I'm being a bit selfish here, I suppose, because it may start conversations from my friend's point of view and that may be a bit weak on me sort of thinking maybe I should start it but if it opens that door would they then once I'd gone would they think geez I wish I spoke to him about that and then they hear this and think that I had an opportunity and I chose not to Speaking beyond the grave or before? Part of speaking beyond the grave is pretty good because it means I get the last say and that... <laughs> there's no right to reply. Well, I you know what we can... Say what we whatever I want. I mean, as, long as, as long as you can at least make it till Tuesday, we can get it uh, up on Monday. What, Sunday what, for Patreon <laughs> subscribers, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't... Pro- what day is it? I don't even know what day. I... I, I was in hospital a couple of months ago. I had the MRIs. <laughs> the team, my brain's going, and I was on the table, and they're just about to pop me in. And I said, oh, hang on. I need to go for a week. Oh, fair dinkum. You could have done I go, sorry about that. So I said, I'll be back in a second. She goes, yeah, you know where? Yes, I know where the toilets are. Jumped up, went, come back, done the MRI, got off the table, and she goes, oh, nice undies, by the way. I said, thank you. These are, and I went to lift the thing up, and I went, these are missing. She goes, yes, they're missing. And you walk down the hallway with that because you were so smart, I decided to let you go. So you were proudly walking down the hallway with your thing open and everyone's staring at your mum and I went, here's some news for you. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have seen it before. Some people have wrote on it. Some have kissed it. And um, <laughs> she goes, oh, you cheeky. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I got dressed and I come back. I said, doctor, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. He goes, can I just, one second, Craig. I said, yeah, what's up? He said, it's Tuesday, mate. <laughs> um, uh, I don't what month is it? He goes, December. Oh, it's my birthday in a few days. <laughs> he goes, see you next time. Off you go. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, all right. Well, my brain's fading, mate, real quick. So I don't know. It's Will Anderson, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Just I've got he, a, got a, he got a live naked Tuesday. Oh, yeah, they did. Not many have got so that. <laughs> here's what um, we will do. We're going to put this out this week then because I think that's better to do uh, if you want it out then. But if, say, in January... You know, you're still around and you're still feeling okay and you want to have another chat to me. We can record a Beyond the Grave one as well. (laughs) (laughs) You can have one up your sleeve. Much like your son at the funeral with his list of people that he's not going to let in. You can have a little, you know, one I can release in memory where you really say everything you want to say. How about that? Do you take Medicare? Because I've popped another hernia. Well done. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, I haven't laughed for an hour long, mate. Thank you. <laughs> oh, jeez, mate. Seriously.
You talk about the conversations, you know, that are still unsaid. Um, You know, if this is something that some of your friends are listening to and getting an insight to where you're at, what, what are the... What are the conversations that you want to have? You don't have to obviously reveal all of them here, but like, you know, let's give us some starting points. Clearly the first one is the assisted dying program because I'm not sure where a lot of people also sit on this. And I've got some friends that are opinionated and they'll have a very stern opinion of it. But I'd like to hear it. Uh, I'd also like to direct them so they maybe go and have an understanding of it. That might be the thing, you know. If they don't have a thorough understanding, I really suggest you get one. And I know people are going to go, well, what do I want that for? I'm not sick. I don't. No one's sick. I don't. Really? Just just have an understanding. Education is power. Knowledge is power. It might come in handy one day. Educating yourself is a good idea. Reading is a good idea. Um, so that would be the first port of call. I would also just like them to fully understand what it's really like. During this pandemic, when it first started, I don't know, a month into it, and my goes, oh, now I know what it's like to live like you. I've been wanting to go out, and obviously, because nothing's on, nothing's closed, that's it, I can't. I said, so you know what it's like to live like me? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, how long have you been doing this for? He said, well, you know, since they've done the lockdown, like four weeks now we're into it. He said, it's terrible. I said, four weeks. Dude, I've been doing this for eight years. I said, he said, oh, no, but you can go out when you want. It was just your body telling you you couldn't. He said, this is being told by other people we can't. I said, yeah, for the right reasons, by the way, champ. You know, you're now alive. And I'm a high-risk person, so I'm very grateful because I basically didn't leave my house. Even my wife used to go and get my medication because I didn't want to even take a scoofedth of a risk. So I said this, but so you, 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 you've got an understanding of what it's like living like me. Yeah. I said, okay, how many tablets did you take today? He goes, oh, no, that's not what we're talking about here. I said, no, no. You said you have a better understanding of what it's like living like me. You want to know what it's like living like me? Today, I took around, I'll, by the end of the day, it'll be around 26 tablets, I would suggest, for different things. He goes, all right. I said, but what did you do today? He goes, well, once I got up, I had a coffee, put Netflix on, watch a movie or two, you know, at the garden. I said, oh, that's good. He said, well, you would have done the same. When you coffee, you turn the telly on? Yeah, yeah. Then have my lunch? Yeah. I said, then I rewrote my funeral. Did you do that? It's a bit quiet, wasn't he? Oh, no, but I don't have to because, yeah, because when this lockdown is over, you're going to come out the other side and you'll be fine. I had to rewrite my funeral. I had to ask people who had agreed to sing live at my funeral, could you please record what you're going to do just in case I cark it during this pandemic? I said, do you know how hard that is even asking them in the first place then them accepting it. And I had one mate just went, no, I don't want to do this, but I will do this for you, but I don't want to because it makes me think that you're going to be gone. I said, yeah, well, it's a reality, mate. So then I had to email a few people to go, can you record a video? That's how I spent my day. That's not living like me. And then I said to him, that's not it. I then had to write a list of 10 people who could come to my funeral. Did you do that? He goes, no, because I'm not dying. Yeah, right. I had to pick 10 people and then have another 10 just in case one or two couldn't make it or didn't want to come. He goes, oh, surely if 10 they're close, they'd want to come. I went, yeah. So you know what it's like. He said, oh, you've taken that out of context. I went, no, no. Your words were, now I know what it's like to live like you. 
please, please think about what you say before you talk to someone like that. And I think I, you know, someone called me once, they're in a terrible amount of pain. I hate pain. It's not fair on anyone. A migraine, back pain, mongrels. I have absolute, it's the worst thing in the world. I used to get them too before I was sick and I hated migraines. I hate back pain, which I currently have now. It's, it's terrible. I understand pain. But this person said, well, at least, at least you've got a way out for your pain and suffering shortly. Your life's going to end. I'm going to have to endure this for another 30 years. Oh, thanks for that kick in the guts that you don't value my life. And I said, well, I think that maybe hopefully sometime in the next five or ten years they'll have wonder drugs that will stop your pain. I said, here's the tip. They won't be able to open me gob up, stick a pill in and go, oh, come back to life. For a start, I'm just going to be a skeleton. Oh, it's the thinnest I'll be, but <laughs> I suppose that's the bonus. I'll come back skinny. <laughs> or how can you chuck a tablet into dust and make flipping ashes regrow? <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I thought that was one of the biggest insults I've ever copped, actually. I think the one from my cousin about your disgrace to the family and all that was pretty bad. I actually think this was worse by saying, oh, yeah, but you've got a way out of your pain and suffering in the next few years. Oh, thanks. I want people to understand what they're saying and think before you let it out the gob. And I know that's an inherent problem with literally everything. <laughs> people don't think and they say. And then they try to retract. And go, well, no, just wait. Even the keyboard warriors, just, just think before you say. Um, and that one about, you know, walking out and getting hit by a bus, I say, well, can anyone give me the figures on that? How many people this year have walked outside and got hit by a bus and died compared to cancer? Oh, I'm banging on about cancer again. I'll get in trouble for that. <laughs> um, that's another one of those things. Yep, I know it can happen. You can walk out when those storms get hit by a tree and people have, and that's a horrible, horrible thing. Again, someone did tell me I'm lucky. I'm lucky because I do have a chance to say goodbye to people. I get that because, yes, I am lucky because there are other people who are taken suddenly. Made mine stab the other day, died in his sleep. No chance. Was not ill. Was died in his sleep and that was horrifying. So I, I, I don't like the word luck. I've never been a fan of the word lucky. I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate that I'm being given a death sentence so I can say goodbye to people. It's one of them catch-22s, isn't it, rocking a hard place. I've got time to say goodbye to people, but the reason I'm saying goodbye to people is because they have a terminal illness. I don't know where that sits, but I yeah, really well, would... It's not, it, it's not much of a bonus if you unpick it. <laughs> that's the, that, that's probably honest, where I was trying to get to. <laughs> everybody has the exact same time to say goodbye to people. You know, I could go and say goodbye to everybody just to cover off yeah. my bases, you know, based on the, you know, walking in front of a bus theory. Yeah, like, correct, it's not correct. like you have suddenly you know, more time to do that than other people do. So it's a ridiculous thing to list as one of the bonuses <laughs> of your situation. There is a show but, uh, I've been watching in, in lockdown. Um, and, you know, I've been in lockdown too, Craig, so I really understand what you've been going through. And uh, <laughs> um, there's a show that I watched in lockdown called uh, Ted Lasso. It stars uh, Jason Sudeikis and it's about an American football coach, an optimistic American oh. football coach who ends up coaching in the uh, British football in soccer basically right in the and it's it's one of those shows that I did not think that I was going to like and absolutely fell in love with and part of okay. the reason is Jason Sudeikis plays this coach as just one of the genuinely most optimistic people not op optimistic I thought he was going to be 
optimistic and therefore an idiot because so often <laughs> in modern ways that we portray people if you uh, portray someone with optimism they are inherently an idiot as well right stupid but he is not he's not an idiot he's actually a really smart guy who happens to have a genuine love of other human beings and he ends a lot of his conversations and not necessarily with main characters just people in general by telling them that he appreciates them i appreciate you and it's kind of a joke in the show, but I have mm. thought about it so much in the couple of... I Like, I binged the entire, you know, 10 or 12 episodes, whatever it is, in one night and just okay. absolutely adored it, but then have not stopped thinking about how often I want to tell people that I appreciate them because I think that that is... It resonated me in a way where I'm like, there's this guy I get coffee from every morning and this morning when I got, I've been drinking the coffee during our chat and... He gave me a free coffee today just to thank me for coming in and supporting his business during nice. the year. And not just me. He, he was giving everybody who's a regular a free coffee today. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's him saying, I appreciate, appreciate you as a you. customer of my business, right? And yep. what I really wanted to say in, to him in return is that I appreciate you. And I think that we can say that to people more regularly. You know, what you're, what that person's saying is when they you have a chance to say goodbye to somebody is what we're really saying is you don't want to have to say goodbye to people. Mm. You want a chance to say to people, here's why I appreciate you. This is what I appreciate about you. And I'm going to tell you that I appreciate you and I appreciate the friendship that we have developed. It is, um, it has given a lot to my life. I have loved your generosity on these shows, but your generosity of spirit has been matched just in a very different way in our you know, conversations that we just have, you know, and not necessarily big in-depth conversations, by the way, just, you know, little messages as the days go on or as the weeks go on. And we just have a, you know, little interaction, mostly about the lighter things in life, not the, you know, the deeper or darker things in life. And it has been... A great joy of mine to become friends with you, like during this time. And I feel very honored by it. And I feel angry and disappointed. And I understand people's reactions when they want to say, hey, hang on for this or hey, hang on for that. Because what they're really saying is that they love you and that they appreciate yeah. you and that yeah, they that. can't think of a time, they don't want to think yep. of a time when you're not around anymore. And yep. it, saddens me that while I am so grateful that I've had this opportunity to, you know, get to know you and I think know you well and, and, and same in reverse, you know, we've had quite, you know, intimate, private, you know, conversations and it's, it, it I feel the loss of knowing one day I'm just going to flick on my Facebook, which I think you're about the only good thing that I ever, you know, flick onto Facebook for these days and there won't be a little message there from you about you know some football related matter or something that's that's going on in your world so i just want to take this opportunity to say personally that i appreciate you and i am going to miss the fuck out of you when eventually i don't get to talk to you anymore thank you and uh, and the, the i think one of the uh, i said this to my wife when we first met you uh when we said goodbye from the first meeting you put your hand on my shoulder and said if you ever need me contact me if i can help you i'll help you and when you get that from people, sometimes you think, is that the polite thing to say, you know, or does he mean this? Because I didn't really know you. And I think 
oh, it might have been a couple of months later, whatever, you replied. I replied and was nice. And I said to my wife, this bloke meant it. He actually meant it. And then, as I said to her the other day, um, when when Mike said, we'll get this done, I said to her, he's never told me what to do, never been patronising, not once. And I said, you know what? I've told him some things that I haven't told some close friends because I had that trust in him. And he's not going to tell anyone, but he's going to offer me something. And there was always something in return. So it was never, you know, you, you, we all know that person, you send a message, hey, you know, they send you a message, how you doing? You go, oh, not bad yourself. And then they, they, they reply with the 60 thing, go, oh, they wanted you to ask how they were, not how you were. <laughs> I get that. Any Mr. Anderson reply, there's always something in it for me. You can go over these messages if you want. You can read them all. There's always something in there for me. And I think, not I think, I shouldn't say I think, I know. The one from the other day simply just said the bottom one, love you, mate. And I thought, I actually think he does. I actually feel that it's true. And I said to my wife, do you know how much I appreciate that? And I probably didn't reply to you and say the same thing. So I'll say it right here, apart from I, I appreciate you, I respect you obviously for your talent and your skill and what you give, but you've given me a chance to draw closer to a few of my friends, which has been exceptionally important, but you've created some friends for me through people who've listened and contacted, which I still, I think every now and again I go, I'm still getting people from the philosophy podcast that send me messages and they're really nice and so it's, you know, it's been a... More than a double-edged sword, mate. I think I've got more out of it than than what you've. So I'll, I'll, I'll say I appreciate it, respect you, and I absolutely love you too. So thank you. All right, mate. I think that's you know we. Yep. I think we've. I think we've done our job today. I agree. Um, how how many brown lows is Jamara Yeah. He will win two, and Morris Rioli Jr. will split him with. <laughs> it'll be they'll take it in turn. I don't think it'll be this year. I'll give the kid one year to settle in. <laughs> and then he'll, it'll be him one year, Morris Riola Jr., Jamara, Morris Riola Jr. Although Bond and Pelly should win one somewhere. Maybe when he's 30, he might just break the cycle. <laughs> because I think he deserves one, mate. So <laughs> we'll, we'll cover it for the next few years ourselves. Um, mate, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do uh, this. Thanks, mate. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> all right, mate, we're done. All right, mate. My chest feels exceptionally light. 